You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. Good Sunday evening, everybody. Welcome. Whether you're on your way home from a great weekend or maybe you're starting your work week. Thanks for starting it with us here on the Larry Hardesty Show. Giselle and Joel along for the ride. 1-800-919-3776. At the top of the hour, we will chat with Michael Grady. He, of course, is the sideline reporter for Yes, covering the Brooklyn Nets, who made an unexpected move yesterday. We'll talk about that with him at the top of the hour. Right now, let's talk to you about the Knicks. 1-800-919-3776. Let me say this. I was, I could say pleasantly surprised, but we're looking at two teams that have a combined 89 losses for the season. <laughs> but yet and still, I was pleasantly surprised. And I'm going to tell you why I was pleasantly surprised. For about five minutes, I saw Kevin Knox play the best stretch he has played this season on both ends of the floor. The best five minutes this season. Now, how should I look at that? Does that erase the horrible performances he's had previously? Or should I look at it and say, hey, you know what? For five minutes, we saw Kevin Knox with confidence. We saw him play defense, blocked not one, not two, but actually he got credit for two. I think he blocked three shots, jumpers, hit some jumpers, and actually looked like he cared to play defense. So I was pretty impressed with that. Now, you could say, Larry, boy, have you set the bar low for this guy. Oh, man. He plays five minutes. He he plays a total of 19 minutes. You're talking about the five minutes he played that were great. Well, listen, here, here's the Larry school. I criticize them when they do badly. I, I praise them when they do the right thing. And for five minutes, he did the right thing. And he kind of piqued my curiosity with him. Now, the question is, can he build on that and show me something as the season winds down? Because that's what this is for a lot of these players, especially these young guys. That's what's going to happen. They have to, they are auditioning to see if they're going to be with this team next year. They are auditioning to see if they're going to be packaged in trades or what can be done with them or can anything be salvaged? And I will say this. Kenny Atkinson, who's now looking for work. Of course, he's still going to get paid by the Nets, but who's now looking for work. One of the things that you love about him and you respect, and we'll talk about it with Michael Grady at the top of the hour. One of the things that you respect about him is his ability to coach and make players better. He did it with D'Angelo Russell. He's done it with a couple of players on his team, his former team. So as far as player development, I don't know if he's now in the coaching ranks or in the coaching list for the Knicks. I've seen a couple of published reports who are just throwing it out there because remember he was with the Knicks and helped Jeremy Lin turn into Lin Sanity. So if he's not on the coaching head coaching list, maybe he's on a, if he would like, Maybe he's on a coaching staff list because developmental of young players with all the young players the Knicks have, with all the draft choices they have also, that's going to be a key thing 
Because one of the things that we talk about on the air a lot is the fact that this team doesn't develop players. They get them and they go elsewhere and they're great. (laughs) They don't play well here. So player development is a key movement for this club and for these young players. And I mentioned that because of the way Kevin Knox played tonight. Played well. Three of six, okay. Seven points in 19 minutes. But once again, as I mentioned, he that five-minute stretch in the second quarter, he was excellent. Excellent. Mitchell Robinson continues to improve. Mitchell Robinson has been consistent over the past couple of weeks. Mitchell Robinson has been dominant. Mitchell Robinson changes the game when he comes in it for the Knicks. Tonight, 14 points in 27 minutes, 11 rebounds, four off the offensive glass, three block shots, no turnovers, one personal foul. And I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Either he is playing smarter or the officials are recognizing his talent and are not saddling him with fouls as soon as he gets off the bench. I mean, there was a point in time when he came off the bench. It seemed like he had three when he came in the game. And he was in the game for 30 seconds and picked up the fourth and sat right back down. But during this stretch, he has played smarter. He's still been as aggressive. He still had the energy that you'd love to see. And once again tonight, 5 of 6. Dunks, absolutely. I, I like that. That's the attitude you want from a big man. 4 of 4 from the free throw line. One of the few Knicks who consistently hits his free throws. One of the few. So he continues to play well. I like what he did tonight. A couple of reverse dunks, a couple of shot blocks. Excellent. And you see him growing in confidence and learning his craft. Once again, player development. How do you continue to make him better? That's going to be the question with this team. R.J. Barrett tonight. Shooting percentage is not great. 5 of 16 had 12 points. But once again, still aggressive. Still needs to work on the free throws. They come and go. One of four tonight. That's got to improve for that young man to take the next step as well. And I'm telling you, if if the Knicks had a starting point guard with the way Alfred Payton has been playing, like tonight, he had 16.6 assists. He is your backup. He is a very good backup point guard. The reason why he's a very good backup point guard is because he doesn't shoot the basketball consistently. He's no jump shot. He's no jump shot that you can depend on. So that's why he's a reserve point guard. Your starting point guard is a guy who can shoot. Chris Paul is a starting point guard in this league. Steph Curry is a starting point guard. Well, Steph Curry is a starting guard in this league, whatever. But once again, he can handle and he can shoot the basketball. So if the Knicks had somebody like that as the starter... And then you had Peyton come in off the bench. This would be an interesting team. They would, they would have a few more wins. I'm not saying they would, they, look, they wouldn't be a championship team, but they would be a team that would have a few more wins than what they have. And you think about it, he started the season injured. If he could have played earlier, they would have had some more wins. But he's played well and he played well tonight. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Julius Randle. And once again, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are good. 22 points, 12 rebounds, 33 minutes, 7 of 14, 7 of 9 from the free throw line, only two turnovers. All right? It's it's a respectable line. He played well. 
He was in the paint. He, he dominated the thinner, possibly more athletic, but thinner front line of the Detroit Pistons. I had, they had no answers for him. The Knicks dominated the paint. I mean, dominated it. They dominated the rebounding as well. And I know rebounding, uh, doesn't mean a whole lot, but for me, it still does because it helps when you are a, a struggling defensive team. You can't afford to continue to give your opponents more than one chance at the basket. So for me, that part of rebounding is important. And what the Knicks did tonight off the glass was they out rebounded Detroit 51 to 35 and 13 to five off the offensive boards. So while they only held Detroit to one shot, the Knicks were able to get multiple shots. And when you are a questionable shooting team like the Knicks are, you need as many opportunities as possible. You do. So a lot to like about the Nick performance tonight. Yes, I know they played against a 20 and 45 Piston team. That's only won nine games away from Detroit. I got it. We're, look, we know this is not a playoff team, but what we're looking for from this team right now is very simple. We're looking to see how these young players perform. The veterans are going to, the veterans are not going to be here. Bobby Porter's three of 10. Okay. He's played well. Didn't have the jumper tonight. He's not going to be here. All right. Wayne Ellington continues to do some things from three. He's not going to be here. Bullock, not going to be here. Todd Gibson, not going to be here. So for me, the focus is how are these young players going to perform? Do we still have questions about what's the story with Alonzo Trier and Damian Dotson again? Yes, we do. But right now they're not in the rotation. So we just put that aside and just try to figure out and watch these young guys and their performances and their growth. Now, Frank Nilakina had an interesting line tonight because he had seven points in 17 minutes, did not shoot the ball well, three of 10, had one assist, had two steals and had three rebounds, but I feel like he, he had a better, he was better than that. I feel like the stats don't tell the story about him tonight because I believe that there were a couple of moments where you saw him be aggressive, put the ball on the deck, take it to the 10, try to get some fouls, try to get some easy baskets, try to get other people involved. They didn't finish the jump shot. They didn't score. So he didn't get the assist. He should have had more than one assist. So, but, but. So when you look at him, the numbers don't quite tell the story. I'm not saying that he was phenomenal. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that he was better. I think he had more of an impact on the game than the numbers show, which is why despite he only had seven points in 17 minutes, he's a plus five on your plus minus. So that tells you he did some things well, or the team responded well when he was in. And he was in because, and listen, Alfred Payton played 31 minutes. He played the other 17. So he took the, he took the point guard role. So some of the things he did you like defensively, he was okay. You know, there's not a lot of people that, that you fear on that Detroit backcourt because they're, you know, they're rebuilding. They're in retool mode. They got rid of Drummond. You know, Griffin's been out all season. So this is, the, you know, the, the team's got a ton of injuries. This is not, you know, this is not a representative team. This is not where you say, Oh, boy, you saw what he did against LeBron. That's not what, that's not what this is. But once again, you saw some things with him that you could appreciate a little bit that you say, well, it wasn't a total loss. That's why this offseason 
is going to be so fascinating for me to see how the Nick front office is going to determine, once again, as I mentioned, who stays and who goes. Who do they give up on? I mean, Nilakina has been here a couple seasons now. All right, he shows you some things defensively you like. Could he be a guy that's your your backup point guard or your or your backup shooting guard or defender coming off the bench as your seventh eighth guy? Possibly, he could be that guy. But he's got to do a better job scoring if he's going to stay. But then on the other side of it, do you say, well, you know, he's been injured every season he's been here. Can he give you a complete season? So these are the things that you have to evaluate when you sit down to decide what, where do we go with this team, with these young guys? Are we giving up on them? I can honestly say, and I haven't taken a vote or a Twitter poll or a scientific poll, but I can honestly say just from the calls that I've taken, I would easily say seven out of 10 Nick fans are done with Frank Nillikin because they feel he's had enough time to show what he could do and show you some consistency, and that hasn't been there. doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the front office thinks. And once again, when will they make the decision on who's going to be the GM and who's going to be the head coach? Because they have to be the ones to make these decisions because they know what kind of game and focus – and game plan that they want to have for this team. They know the style of play that they want to have this Nick team have. They know what they want to do going forward. Does he fit it? Maybe he does. Maybe it's going to be a, a team that, you know, you want to have a defensive guy there and you, and you got to get some three point shooters because they don't have enough. So you know that they need some three point shot makers, not takers, but makers. <laughs> That's what they need. That's what they need to improve. But there were some good things in this win tonight. Good things. And when you're 20 and 44, 11 and 22 at home, you're a scout. You're acting GM. You're looking to see what you have and what you can get to make this team better next season. That's your job. So as fans, that's what you're looking at. What do you think? This is the Larry Hardesty Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN New York. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Taking your phone calls on the Knicks. The Nets, we'll talk about them also. Plus, talking a little baseball with you as well. You know, it happened again. Aaron Judge out indefinitely. He will rest two weeks while recovering from the stress fracture to his right first right rib. Hasn't played any spring training games while dealing with soreness in his right pectoral muscle and shoulder has no timeline for return. So you've got that scenario. You already know the Yankees are without Paxson and Severino. Still waiting to find out if there is a definite appearance for Giancarlo Stanton on opening day. And then we find out the Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez was scratched from batting practice yesterday due to a sore back. 
Although manager Aaron Boone says he doesn't think the problem is serious. I mean, this is amazing. This is crazy. Back-to-back years, the Yankees have suffered injury after injury after injury. And once again, the only positive to this is it's early. It's in it's in spring training. That's the only positive. And you're figuring what's going on because, I mean, they fired their whole training staff last year. This is a whole new group. So where are these injuries coming from? And why is it taking so long for them to find the injuries, A, and remedy the injuries, too? I mean, Paxson knew what was going on with the back a while ago. Why did they wait so long? I mean, they didn't see the rib with, with Judge? I mean, I know they've been talking about the pictorial, this. So the rib never showed up. And now the, and to make it worse for Yankee fans, Aaron Boone said they can't rule out possibly removing the rib. If, he, if they have to remove that rib, he's not going to be around for a while. And the rehab will be incredible. I know... It's spring training. I know it's early. And like I said, that would be the only positive side to this is that this is happening while you've got guys missing. Hopefully you'll get back. You could have everybody back in theory by the all-star break. But if you have the whole idea of, oh, we're going to run away or we're going to have all these wins, we're going to be so dominant. I don't know. I don't know that you can have that same feeling. Are you guaranteed that the Talkmans and the the Fords are going to play the way they played last season? When people really didn't have a book on them, per se? I mean, people had a book on Ursula, but he wrote a new book for him (laughs) because he was so good. It's fascinating to me. 1-800-919-3776. 1-800-919-3776. Charlie and Woodside, you're leading off on the Larry Hardesty Show. Good evening, Larry. How you doing? I'm all right, Charlie. What's going on? Um, all right. Oh, uh, I don't know, Larry, if you checked the uh, Sunday uh, basketball game on the ABC. What do you think about that? Uh, what do you think about the, that? The, the Clippers and Lakers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, it was great to see some real competitive basketball. That's oh, it was one. physical. It, it was a physical intense. That was an intense game. Physical, it was physical, playoff. It was playoff basketball. It, it was. It was. I enjoyed the game. Oh yes, absolutely. I was locked in. I locked into that game. Um, proceed to that. But I thought LeBron played well. Um, AD Anthony Davis. I think in order for the Lakers to go all the way, those two has to be fantastic in a seven every seven game series. But moving on to the. Um, Regards to the, my absolute frustration, anger over the Aaron Judge injury, the fact that Larry, this thing, injury happened on September last year, mm-hmm. and we, we didn't find out until Friday afternoon. It's absurd and unacceptable. It's not. It's all parties should be responsible. But how in the world the doctors of this Yankee doctor did not find out about this thing? The off season is not about getting ready and getting in shape. 
lifting weights. It's about taking care of your health. The fact that if this thing was found in November, December, I won't say it injuries are unavoidable because he already uh, he sustained this injury, and th- because this thing would have been fixed, cured, and diagnosed, he would have been ready by opening day. And now we don't have we're not going to see judge guarantee opening day. I mean, and possibly he's gonna he's gonna he might need surgery, which that is a big major problem because if he gets surgery, what's the timetable? It's gonna be is it two months, one month, four months? I mean, who? What else? I mean, whoever. But it's absolutely disgusting. I'm absolutely ticked off about this injury. I'm so uh, down. I mean, I mean, disheartening the fact that Judge is gonna miss because I have no doubt when he plays, he produces. I have no doubt, and it's disappointing. Well, the scary thing, Charlie, and thanks for the phone call, my friend. Always good hearing from you. The, the scary thing is now, since winning the 2017 Rookie of the Year, Judge has been limited to 112 games in 2018 of a broken because of a broken wrist, and 102 last year. And you start to say, you you, you start to put this label on him about being injury prone. And as Charlie mentioned, and he's a thousand percent right, when he plays, he produces. And even if he doesn't produce offensively, his defense saves runs. He's a very good outfielder, excellent arm in right field. So you miss him and you miss what he brings to that lineup. He lengthens the lineup. And his on-base percentage for a guy who strikes out as much as he does is pretty good because he's got a great eye and he also gets a lot of walks. So even though he may not hit a home run every time, he may not get a base hit, but he finds his way to be on base. So you miss him. You definitely do. And once again, I guess you could, the, the positive is you could say, well, listen, we sure know how to play without him in the lineup because he's missed so many games. But at some point in time, you need him, you need him to play. You need him to give you 140, 150 games a season. At some point in time, that's what you need because of what he brings to the table. So we'll keep an eye out on this and see what's happening. Hopefully, hopefully. He will not need surgery to remove the bone. That would be the worst case scenario. Maybe he'll rest. Maybe the two weeks, the stress factor, it'll go, it'll, it'll heal and maybe he'll be okay. But I mean, did one thing lead to the other? I mean, remember he got this injury early last season. I mean, did that lead to the shoulder because of the pain he was dealing with from the rib? So he tried to make adjustments. Did that now mess the shoulder up? I mean, it, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing what they went through. You know, I've been talking a lot about, from the Mets standpoint, I've been talking a lot about waiting to see about Dylan Batances. And what he was going to be able to bring in this first outing. Because as you know, the Mets really needed to upgrade their bullpen last from last season. It was not good, to say the least. Inconsistent, 
Bad year from Edwin Diaz. Bad year from Jairus Familia. Great year from Seth Lugo. But they found him a little late. So Dunlap Patances, obviously, is not going to be perfect. This is going to be his first out. He pitched, what, maybe a, two or three games, maybe, what, one game last year in September and got hurt? So he came in on Saturday, yesterday. And did I expect him to be rusty? Yes. Did I expect the him to walk some folks? Yes. Did I expect him to have trouble being behind batters and having trouble with the strike zone? Yes. And I expect that for the first couple of outings for him. I do. Am I concerned that his fastball was like 89 to 90? A little. Do I understand that he's not throwing hard? He just wants to be healthy and he just wants to make sure that he feels okay. I understand that. Would I, do I understand that because this is his first outing, he's not going to throw as hard as he could? I understand that. After all, it was a shoulder injury that he, that he was coming off. But fastballs 89 to 90. I'm a little concerned with a, with an asterisk. We'll wait and see how he goes in the next couple of outings. He said afterwards, listen, don't be concerned. I'm always a slow starter. This is how I am. This is what I do. Yes, I understand that. But still, I've watched him, covered him for a number of years when he was a Yankee. And he goes through stretches where he gets ahead. His motion becomes, for lack of a better term, out of whack. His arm sometimes comes before his body. He's not in sync and causes, causes the ball to, to rise or he loses the plate. So there's issues with him. And you know that going in. But for one year, why would you not take a chance on Delon Patances? And if he's right, listen, it's a great addition to your bullpen. So I'm not saying, obviously, after one outing, of not even an inning, I'm not saying that this is a bad deal. I'm I'm unhappy. I'm scared. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying I'm I'm going to keep an eye on that velocity, as I'm sure the Mets will do, to see if there's any adjustment. If it increases a little bit as we get near the end of spring training, and now that he's going to be back on a regular regimen, and he could be back on the mound in a couple of days. I want to see how he responds after that. Because when he gets into the regular regimen, if there's pain, then I'll be concerned. This is the Larry Hardesty Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN New York. Hey, yo, guys, don't. Cinco mujeres en mi cama, tengo la movie en mi habitación. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Join me in welcoming Michael Grady. He does a phenomenal job on Yes, covering the Nets. And we're going to get his thoughts on where the Nets go from here after a surprising change in their coaching position. Michael, thanks for joining me today. No, anytime. Good to be on with you, Larry. Michael, how shocked were you 
<laughs> when you get the oh, phone right. call yesterday to say, oh, by the way, we're making a coaching change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond beyond surprise, you know, during the NBA season, these off days don't come that often. So I was uh, relishing the fact that I could sleep in and not set my alarm. And I didn't get the news until about two hours after it broke that uh, I needed to make my way to the next practice facility for that 1230 press conference. So it was uh, it was a wild day, to say the least, especially because it came off the heels of a dominant performance against the San Antonio Spurs. So um, uh, that part was really, you know, surprising. This team has had highs and lows in the past and had stretches where they struggled. And it just happens over the course of an NBA season, but the thought or the idea that they would make a change uh, toward the end of the year with, at that point, 20 games uh, was not only surprising to me, but a lot of folks. Yeah, Michael, you know, it's funny when a team struggles, you have that, as you mentioned throughout the season, especially in this case where your prominent free agent acquisition in Kyrie Irving has been in and out of the lineup. And recently you've just been told, Hey, guess what? You don't have him anymore this season. Yeah, you know, the the thing about that is, one, it is a prideful group, and they feel like there is a certain level that they should be playing at, even if Kyrie Irving is out of the lineup. But one of the questions I had for the guys yesterday was, what was the difference between the downs that we saw, let's say, a year ago, uh, where they had an eight-game losing streak, um, they had other stretches where they really struggled in playing, versus this season, where they've had a few losing streak, streaks uh, sprinkled in, in, in addition to all the injuries that they've had this year. And one of the things that Jacques Vaughn said was that the resiliency just wasn't there. Uh, if they had a bad loss, it wasn't followed with a tremendous effort. It might have been another loss. And we saw that over the course of the past week or so with the Nets, where they had a tough loss to Orlando, a team that chased them in the East Standings. The next game is against Washington. Well, a year ago, they probably would have bounced back and had a really strong effort in beating the Wizards. They lost that game. The next game was against Trey Young in Atlanta, the, the team with the worst record in the Eastern Conference at that point. And you would think, again, a team from a year ago would have pounded Atlanta. Well, the Nets gave up 141 points to the Hawks. And so it was things like that that really illustrated the big difference between the resiliency of the team a year ago versus the struggles that they had been having this season. Now, Michael, you're around this team all the time. You travel with them. You know them as well as anybody. How how much of a role does chemistry play in that? I mean, you know, you, you depend on guys. You make changes from a year ago. Everybody doesn't have something. You bring some guys, Michael, that has a glass chin. And before you know it, it yeah. kind of spreads. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where it's been a learning experience for everybody on the roster and um, the expectations different for uh, everybody and a lot of these guys. And so that was something that Spencer Dinwiddie mentioned uh, to me yesterday and talking to him about the whole thing and the difference between a year ago, for example, and this year is the expectations. And that's something that's an adjustment for everybody. The new guys on this, on this new team, the coaching staff, um, the players that have been here the last handful of years from a 20-win team to a team that made the playoffs a season ago to, wow, you have Kyrie and Kevin on the roster and every little thing that happens with this franchise, whether it's a soundbite, a tough stretch, 
it's making headlines now, and that's something that a lot of guys have had to grow and, and become accustomed to, and that's been an adjustment this season. I think the growing pains from this year will really help them headed into next season. A lot of guys are experiencing things that they have never experienced before in their NBA career, given the, the pressure, the spotlight, all those things. And so, Larry, it's really been a learning experience for those guys, and that's really been a big difference versus the team a season ago that was exceeding expectations because they were under the radar. They had great leadership on that squad with guys like Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll and Ed Davis and others. But that was a team that took an underdog approach. Uh, this season, they weren't on. They were on everybody's radar, and that's a different. There's a different level that you have to play at, and there's a different mindset that you have to have when you have a target on your back. Michael Grady is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Michael, uh, Don King once told me in an interview that peop- my detractors hate me so much that everything that goes wrong, they blame me for World War II. <laughs> when situations like this come up, Michael, Kyrie Irving's name is mentioned. He's a victim of his uh, reputation. He's a victim of what's happened in previous cities that he's been at. And there are some published reports indicating that you know, he did not, was not a fan of uh, Kenny Atkinson, which is surprising because he and Kevin Durant were supposedly fans of Kenny Atkinson, which is why they decided to come to Brooklyn. You know, the, the, uh, as far as the label or the image that Kyrie Irving has, like you mentioned, the places that he has spurned or had bad blood with, if he had had bad blood or had spurned um, Phoenix, Memphis and let's say Toronto, for example, this might be a completely different story in terms of uh, who Irving is or the perception of Kyrie Irving. But he ticked off the Boston fan base, which is a very large contingent of NBA fans, um, and also the New York Knicks uh, by not deciding to sign with the Knicks. So anything that happens or any sort of perception of Kyrie Irving, there are two very strong fan bases that are going to fan that flame. And we're talking about a guy who admittedly um, uh, is not perfect. You know, we all we all make mistakes, um, but he moves to the beat of his own drum like a lot of superstars in this league. But given his reputation, it's always going to be spun in a negative way. And this is no different from a lot of other you know, organizations, when superstars are brought in or the expectations change, the speculation starts right away that, okay, they're going to eventually get in the guy that they want. It may not be this guy. It may not be David Black in Cleveland, for example, but they're going to eventually get their guy. It may not be Luke Walton with the Lakers, but they're going to eventually get their guy. And there are numerous other examples, as you know, going back in history, when Stan Van Gundy was coaching the Miami Heat and all of a sudden it was Shaquille O'Neal and Dwayne Wade. Well, Stan didn't finish that particular year. They eventually got the guy, you know, Pat had to step in, and then they eventually moved on and got the guy that they wanted. So this happens a lot. Um, But because of the uh, reputation of the superstars with the Nets, people are always going to run with the negative narrative. Um, At the end of the day, there were a lot of folks involved. It was the ownership. It was general manager Sean Marks, and it was Kenny Atkinson, the three of them all getting together and coming to this mutual decision at the end of the day. And it opens the Nets up for a new voice in that locker room, someone that they feel can lead them to where where they want to go. And whether or not there are other parties involved, I think at the end of the day, Sean Marks feels it doesn't even matter. They're getting the guy that they want. They are opening the door right now. It 
gives Kenny Atkinson an opportunity to to step aside as opposed to finishing the season, and he gets to open up his opportunities on where he wants to interview and uh, coach in the future because he will be a high commodity. He is a tremendous coach, a tremendous developmental coach as well. And so um, I think when the dust settles, uh, the Nets are going to get what they want at the end of the day. Tell you what, Michael, he did a phenomenal job for D'Angelo Russell. Got D'Angelo some some much needed coin <laughs> for this hey, season. No question. I, I, yeah, you know, Kenny's uh, as far as development, what he was able to do with D'Angelo Russell, who nobody thought D'Angelo would revive his career, despite how young he was. He turned Spencer Dinwiddie into a most improved six man of the year candidate. Uh, Joe Harris was one of the, was the best sharpshooter in the NBA uh, a season ago. Won the three point contest, led the th- league in three point percentage. Jared Allen has become a formidable, formidable big man in the league. Karis LeVert is a budding star in this NBA as well. He's had a, a triple-double, his first career triple-double, and had a 51-point game just in the past week. And um, their individual efforts and in working on their game, plus the work of Kenny Atkinson and the coaching staff, is a big reason why uh, those guys are where they are in their careers. Michael, what do you see could be the difference? And we kind of, you kind of get a, a quick glimpse, a glimpse today as the Nets beat the Bulls 110-107 of how uh, Jacques Vaughn will be different from Kenny Atkinson. You know, I think the fact that he was a head coach before and his experience, um, the highs and lows from there, from uh, Orlando, didn't have a great record. He was a very young coach at that particular time and learned a lot from that experience. Being under Kenny Atkinson, seeing the way things are flowing, I think as an assistant coach, you may have a different relationship with players, may have a little bit more open communication than the head coach would, although Kenny was a great head coach in terms of being personable and trying to get to know his guys. But Jock has his own ideas and, and different feeling on how things work within the roster and what it's going to take to finish strong and get the job done. So I look at uh, what he what he told me is tweaks on the defensive side of the ball, maybe not major tweaks on the offensive side, but tweaks on the defensive side of the ball, um, lineup changes. DeAndre Jordan started um, for the fifth time this season. That was a that was the first tweak for for Coach Jock Vaughn. But I think, Larry, what he really wants is for the guys to have a certain compete level each and every night. And this was Kenny's message just before, um, you know, he, he would parted ways with the team. You may shoot poorly from the floor. There may be other things that may go wrong outside of your control. But what Jacques Vaughn wants is a consistent level of competition, energy, juice out there. Um, and if you compete at a high level, getting those 50-50 balls, different things like that, uh, you're going to give yourself a chance to win, even if you have an off-shooting night. They were really inconsistent in that uh, department and the, in these this first good portion of the NBA season, and I think that's the biggest, most dramatic difference Jacques Vaughn wants to see with the team the rest of the way. For me, Michael, just looking at it from the outside, the defensive effort from this team, the inconsistency there is really the biggest difference between last year and this year. Yeah, you know, and and that's been surprising, you know, to a lot of folks. They did have stretches where they were playing really well defensively. This last stretch, which may have, you know, which which basically put an end to the Kenny Atkinson era. And again, I'm going back to that Orlando game, which was a big game on the schedule. Orlando chasing you in the standings. You follow that with a loss to the Washington Wizards. You follow that with a loss to Atlanta, then a loss to Miami. They were really getting beaten up pretty bad by Boston without Jason Tatum, and it took a 51-point performance by Karis LeVert for the Nets to pull that game out. 
and then they get blown out by the Memphis Grizzlies with the Grizzlies putting up 140 points at Barclays Center and that leading the boos as the team left the court. So this last stretch has been really tough. For the better part of February, though, they were one of the top defensive teams in the league. But to your point, they've been inconsistent in that regard. And that's where the effort comes in that Coach Vaughn is looking for from his guys. And so we'll see if that's the case. They have a tough stretch coming up with this West Coast road trip with the Lakers, the Warriors, with Steph back, the Clippers, and then the Sacramento Kings. Those are four tough games out west and so uh, there's an opportunity here for for bonding to continue to get on the same page and to uh, implement a few more things that bond coach bond wants uh with the system now last thing michael how far can this team go because in the back of your mind you don't really want to finish eighth (laughs) no no you don't want to finish you don't want to finish eighth um you know seventh you know won't, won't be much fun either given given all respect to the you know, Toronto Raptors, but the, the Bucks are an absolute, you know, beast. So um, I think it will be a, a, um, a positive to make the playoffs in comparison to the alternative. It's not as if it's a really tight race uh, for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. So if the Nets weren't to make the playoffs, it would mean a colossal collapse down the stretch. That said, regardless of how they end the season, there is huge optimism on the horizon as they bring in a new head coach, and I'm sure a lot of candidates will be vying for this particular job. So there'll be optimism when the new coach is brought in. Plus, you have a healthy Kyrie and Kevin heading into the next season. So I don't want to say that what happens the rest of the season doesn't matter. These guys have a clear goal in mind, and that's finishing the season strong, getting into the playoffs, and giving whoever they play as much problems as they possibly can. They were beaten in five games by the Philadelphia 76ers last season. But for anybody who watched the series, it was a hard-fought five games between the Sixers and the Nets. And so there's a certain level that they want to play at and compete at. And even if that ends in a, you know, a, a quick out in the playoffs, they at least can hang their head high. They are not going to collapse the rest of the season. They're going to go out there and compete. And I expect them, I expect them to do that for sure. Michael Grady, uh, enjoy the road trip coming up. Hopefully you'll be able to go. I mean, rumors about possible changes with the coronavirus, the way it's spreading. It might just be you and the team in the building. We'll see what happens. But but uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Anytime, anytime. Appreciate it. All right, that's Michael Grady. He is the, the Nets guy from Yes. Sideline reporter does a phenomenal job for them. This is the Larry Hardesty Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN New York. Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Just spoke with Michael Grady about the situation with the Brooklyn Nets. I got to tell you, before I get back to the phones, I was shocked. I took a call, and Giselle, Joel, you might remember this. A caller called last week and said, when should Kenny Atkinson be on the hot seat? And I thought, listen, with the injuries they've had, especially to Kyrie Irving, who was your marquee player, your marquee addition in free agency, and he's in and out of the lineup, and then you lose him for the full season, which weakens your bench. And by the way, you didn't have Kerry Levert for a large part of the season. I'm thinking, well, listen, what do you want this guy to do? You're still in the playoff hunt. Yeah, you had some bad games, but you had some injuries. So normally, that's not how it goes. Normally, in situations like that, you go as far as you can this year. You reevaluate during the offseason and find out where you can go. And the reports are endless. (laughs) 
the speculation's endless. There's one report that says, well, Kenny Atkinson uh, wasn't a big fan and he wanted to leave as much as, as they wanted him out. And then you had, of course, as I mentioned with Michael, Michael Grady, the whole, well, you know, Kyrie got rid of him, which is always going to be, which is so unfortunate for him. That's always going to be the narrative with him. Because people just, you know, they always blame him for things. Some of this is self-inflicted, but some of it is just the same old narrative and may not be true. Look, has this team underachieved? Yes, sort of, because you felt in the East that even without Kyrie for a long period of time, they should at least be as good as a sixth seed. Should be. Toronto's done well. You weren't sure what you were going to expect from them with no no Kawhi. Boston's improved, although they lose tonight, but they look like kind of like the team that, that pushed LeBron and Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of seasons ago. So you're looking and, and you see what's going on with the, with, with the East and you're thinking, you know what? Seventh or eighth. And I think what really scared them, the front office was the fact that the team underachieved that booing after Levert had an unbelievable game in which Boston gave up 62 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. I mean, they were looking at an eight seed. And listen, not Milwaukee. And while Michael is right, with all due respect to the defending NBA champion Toronto Raptors, the Nets have played them very well. They've matched up with them very well this season. So while they might not be underdogs, while they might not be the favorites, rather, in a series against Toronto, you would think that they'd have a shot. It's not like you're playing Milwaukee and you're like, okay, what are we going to do here? <laughs> That's not the case. With Toronto, they played Toronto well. So they would have a shot to at least go into the second round there. And I think that's what uh, the Nets are trying to do. They're, they're sending a message, and they're trying to wake this team up. Now, will Jacques Vaughn have the answers to get them to play better? He's already made a couple of lineup changes, which you've noticed. We'll see if that gets them going. Usually, when you make a coaching change, the players respond. It's a different voice. It's different. The question is, and since I'm not there every day, I can only speculate. The question is, how open were they with Jacques Vaughn as the assistant? And will they respect him now from assistant to head coach, even though he's interim? Because that can be a little dicey depending on the relationship. Okay, depending on the relationship he has. Sometimes players don't look at the assistant when he moves up to the head coach and say, okay, he's not going to be, he's just interim. And we know our crew is here next year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. So we'll be okay. We just, let's just get to, let's just do what we got to do this year and see what happens. It's going to be fascinating. Dominic's in the car. Hey, Dominic, you're next on 987 ESPN. How's it going, Larry? Um, I just got a, a one point to make in a question, right? I think mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to Kyrie, I think he's a superstar player. You know, people come to see him. But just looking at Boston, you know, it's basically the same team with Kemba there. He is a chemistry killer. So to me, 
I, I, I'm a Knicks fan, okay? I, I, would I have been mad if the Knicks got him? No, but I did not want him on his own without KD because I think him on the Nets, obviously to me, they had to ask Kyrie and KD, listen, do you think uh, Kenny is going to work with you guys next year? And to me, I think they probably said, you know what? Uh, I don't think so. And my one, my one question is, as a Knicks fan, do you ever think Brooklyn will become the New York team? Do you think there's anything they could do? Because no matter what, to me, the Knicks have been, I'm 36 years old, the Knicks have been horrible my, you know, for so long now. But I remember when the Garden was rocking. And I just think if the Knicks are relevant in any way, Brooklyn's nothing. And, you know, this was the year that you hear ESPN, Max Kellerman, all that, you know, Brooklyn's taking over, be, you know, a fan of Brooklyn. And nothing's really changed. Brooklyn's not on the front cover of the paper. Like I just want to ask your opinions since you're in the media. Do you think Brooklyn will ever become, you know, the team of New York? Thanks, Larry. It's an interesting question, Dominic. Thanks for the phone call. I think they have the possibility, but they need to win some titles. I think whenever you win championships, if they win, let's say they go on a run where they win a couple of titles and the Knicks continue to flounder, yeah, I could see the tide, I could see the tide turning. I could. Because you're going to see a whole group of fans who are, who are saying the Knicks never win anything. But I'm looking at the Nets, even last year, the Nets, as Michael mentioned, they were an underachieving team. They're going to the first round against Philadelphia. And to me, if they were, if they weren't injured with, with certain players in the front court, they make that a tougher series than what it was. It was that Philly was too physical for them. They didn't have the answer to to that playoff physicality that happens in the NBA. All right? So if that could have been different. And so, yeah, I think it's possible. Not likely, but I think it's possible. Um, here's the thing. It is basically the same team, but I do think, Dominic, that you have to throw in the wild card of the play of Gordon Hayward. A lot from what we found out coming out of that Boston locker room last season was a lot of the players were disenchanted with the amount of minutes that Gordon Haywood was getting and he wasn't producing and he was, he was playing despite not being ready and a lot of other guys were sitting. And that was one of the reasons, one of the issues that you had in Boston, aside from some comments that Kyrie Irving made and apologized for and talked about very openly about almost a, a, a player's only meeting on the plane back <laughs> from a road trip where they kind of settled their differences. So I think you had a, a dual effect there. The reason why the Boston fans were upset with him was because he said he wanted to be in Boston and then changed his mind. So that's why they're upset with him. We understand why they're upset. but uh, So I think it's a, it's a little different scenario with him as far as Boston is concerned. Richardson, Manhattan. Hey, Richard, you're next on 98.7. Larry, I got to respectfully disagree with your last guess. I don't think the Nets were competitive at all in that series against Philly. They won the first game. Those four other games, like you said, Philly just beat them up. I mean, you know, I didn't expect them to win, but they didn't look good in the four games they lost in a row. Uh, as far as uh, uh, the firing of Atkinson, it goes back. To, um, I re- it reminds me of 1975, and I'll tell you what I remembered. You remember the Yankees had a manager, Bill Verdon? 
Yes. They, they brought them back from the abyss with Ralph Houck, and they did good in 73, 74. 75, they got the two superstars, Catfish and Bobby Bonds. Mm-hmm. And they looked terrible that year. And you remember Steinbrenner fired him midseason. Yep. Yeah, that was a shock, too, because uh, he was a good manager, but they now that he wasn't meeting expectations. But he had this two superstars. Uh, Larry, did you watch the Philly-Golden State game last night? I saw a part of it, yes. Great game. You know, I turned the really game, game on. I couldn't believe that, you know, uh, 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 Steph wasn't playing. But even without him and Bede, without uh, Simmons, that game was so well played. I mean, it was a great game, great shooting. There was good defense. But both teams really played well. For You know, I, I thought that was a great game. What did, Do you agree? I enjoyed the game, yeah. I thought it was a very good game, too. And I tell you, if, if I'm a Philly fan, I wasn't happy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because sure, I want my team. With sure. Steph, I want my team to blow. Larry, blow one last thing. I watched yes. the Laker Clipper game today, and so you know the I. announcer, and I listened on radio also. Mm-hmm. And the Lake, uh, John Barry, and uh, the other the play-by-play announcer kept mentioning how the, the fans. It was more uh, Laker fans than there were uh, Clipper fans. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it, Larry. They've got two stars, almost equivalent as uh, AD and uh, LeBron and uh, Kawhi and Paul George. They're fighting for the, uh, uh, in the Western Conference uh, you know, division ch- title. They're not out of yep. it yet. They're, mm-hmm. they're definitely an NBA con- title contender. Why would fans sell their tickets to Laker fans? Or how did Laker fans get in there? I mean, this is not like a lousy team where you sell the tickets, you know, like if it's a Jet-Giant game. And they're really not competing, the Jets-Giants, in the same division. And it very rarely happens that both teams are that good where, you know. I mean, I didn't understand that at all. I I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me. I have no idea, Richard. I was surprised as well. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks, Larry. Maybe it's just that the Laker fans were just louder. Maybe that's what it was because I, for me in a situation like that, that's why to share the same building, you know, the season ticket holders, unless there were some who couldn't make that game and they sold them, they put them up there and the Laker fans snapped them up. That would be the only way I would think, but not that many couldn't make the game like this. I mean, this was a game that everybody had been waiting for, especially on the heels of the fact that the Lakers went toe to toe with Milwaukee on Friday, now to see that you play the Clippers in the same building on Sunday, would they be able to bounce back? Because LeBron put a yeoman's effort in there playing against uh, Giannis, who is now hurt. So it's, you know, I was a little surprised at that too. I really was. I really, really was. Mo's in Brooklyn. Hey, Mo, you're next on 98.7. Hey, what's up, Larry? What's up, Mo? What's happening? Hope you're having a good night. I just came back from the Knicks game. And I'm really just dumbfounded. They're playing guys like Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton. Where's the player development? We need Kenny Agginson on our team ASAP. Larry, let's get real. Uh, R.J. Barrett is not legit until he starts to perform. Also, Kevin Knox stinks. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, not what he could be. We need these guys to start to develop. I mean, we're a joke. We're a joke. How could we start to compete and how can we attract superstars if our young guys aren't even playing in the game? Larry, come on. Well, Mo, here's the deal. Thanks for the phone call. I disagree with you where I say Mitchell Robinson is not playing well. He's playing very well. He's been dominant when he comes into the game. R.J. Barrett has been inconsistent. I will give you that. He has a really good game, and then he has a subpar game or just an average game. So you would like for him to 
uh, you know, be more consistent. And he is getting the minutes. Frank Nilakina has not played well. Uh, Kevin Knox, the second, had a good stretch in the first half that you saw, a couple of blocks, a couple of shots that he made. But for the most part, he's not played well. So that's why you're seeing still the Todd Gibsons and the other guys because I think from what Coach Miller's standpoint is, is that I'm just not giving minutes because if you guys don't do what I expect you to do, I'm not just playing you to be playing you at this point. So I think there's that part of it, but I do think there are guys who need to get more playing time, all right, like your Alonzo Triers, like your Damian Dotson. I think you need to see more in the backcourt. To be fair, the frontcourt is full of veterans. They don't have a lot of rookie frontcourt players. When they came back, they, what did we talk about in the offseason? This team had, what, seven? This was, seemed like 12 out of the, out of the 15 players were forwards. You got Randall, who's a veteran, Portis, who's a veteran, Gibson, who's a veteran. You know, you got so many veterans in the forecourt. You don't have the, the, you know, the, the, you, the young depth that you have in the backcourt for this team. And just look at it. Look at the forecourt. Bullock. Who is, is a swing. I mean, it's so many, it, it's Harkness. They just got in, in the trade with, um, with, uh, in L, with the, with the, uh, Clippers for Morris. I mean, and, and, and Peyton, you gotta have Peyton in there because he's the only guy that can really legitimately run your offense. Nilakina has not shown that he can run the offense yet. So somebody's got to run the offense. So Peyton's got to play. And the reason he played 31 minutes is because while Nilakina was better, he still didn't get the ball moving. He had one assist. Peyton had six. So that's what you're seeing. That's why you're seeing Peyton play. In the forecourt, you don't have a lot of veterans. And in the backcourt, I agree with you. They should be playing more of the young kids. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN New York.